discuss those stories with me is Yvonne Hogan. How are you doing, Yvonne? How's the baby? She's great. She's great. Yeah? Did you like the story? Will we start with Barbie because, um, you know, she's iconic. She's been around 54 years. They sold over one billion Barbies in that time. We've had lots of tweeters who are saying no wonder women feel that they have to have plastic smiles and, you know, blonde, vivacious curves. <laughs> I was a big fan of Barbie when I was a little girl. And Barbie now actually looks kind of quaint and innocent when you compare it to a lot of other dolls that are out there. Like, I think the Bratz dolls are very kind of suggestive. They kind of make me feel uncomfortable. Barbie, I don't have a huge problem with, but maybe it's because we're so used to seeing that mnemonic ideal everywhere now that Barbie looks fairly innocent. But I'm not surprised that that she's selling so well because the collection of stuff you can buy with Barbie yeah. is just, I want it. You know, it's absolutely amazing and there's a new dream house coming out soon and everything. I'm out. It's, it's just really, really pink and really nice and little girls love it. What can you say? You don't think there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with showing little girls these kind of, you know, idealised women in terms of dolls, no? To be honest, I don't really know how I feel about that. I mean, in principle, I would be against it. But since I've had a little girl myself now, I'm kind of looking at these things more. But I don't know if you can actually hide these kind of representations from children. So what's the point in actually making Barbie seem so exciting and so special that she can't have one? Exactly. (laughs) I I brought up my boy actually believing that he would never use a toy gun until one day at three years of age, he went to a friend's house where there was a virtual arsenal of weaponry, which he gleefully leaped. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) It's like sweets in the cupboard, you know. And I, I, was it Smith's recently said they were going to de-gender or whatever you call it, the, the aisles, that the toys weren't going to be in boys' sections and girls' sections. But I think with certain things, we're only fooling ourselves. Absolutely yeah. sexualized images aimed at children are, are really bad. But you know, I think we've come so far along that route of kind of sexualization culturally that it, it doesn't look as sexual as it mm. used to. Like Barbie 10, 15 years ago was, was one of the only kind of representations with the big boobs and the tiny waist. But now it just seems... And that's big bucks. I mean, she's, exactly. she's still bringing in the yeah. dollars, you know. Yeah, and her. people are buying them. We're all, I'll probably buy them. For my really? daughter, I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. The dream house. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this lovely, lovely story from Killaloo and County Clare. This is Charlie. He's a very gentle Great Dane and he's instinctively, he can identify this little three-year-old, Brianna Lynch. She has epilepsy and he, when his behaviour is different, the mother Arabelle Scanlon has been saying, when she notices that Charlie is a little bit off, she knows that Brianna's about to have a seizure. It's, it's sort of uncanny that a, a dog can detect that. Yeah, it's such a wonderful story. Mm. I mean, but, but dogs are absolutely amazing. Like, we a feature in Health and Living a couple of weeks ago on the biodetection dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's research um, in the UK with these dogs that they can actually smell cancer. You know, and the story recently where ovarian cancer, which is really hard to diagnose early, they're doing some research there that maybe the dogs can can detect it from the odours before any other sort of um, medical detection. So dogs are absolutely man's best friend. But this story is just wonderful. Plus, imagine the security that the mum has. You know, that yeah. she has this little alarm before the little girl has the seizure. It's just wonderful story. I think that dog deserves And I think that's exactly what what the mum has said that they mind uh, her all the time but it's impossible always to protect her and even when the other dogs, they obviously have more than one dog so when the other dogs are being a little boisterous, you know, Charlie will stand next to the little girl and make sure she doesn't get knocked over and kind of protects her in every way possible. Yeah, and they're fundraising at the moment actually, aren't they, for a machine for University Hospital Limerick They're just 3,000 euros short actually of an 18,000 euro target. Anyone out there wants to make a donation. I think what's lovely about the story is that it's just such a nice simple 
tale and it went all over the world. I was reading about it on the Huffington Post. It was in the BBC. And then we found out that actually Charlie's going to get a little award. He's, I think it's the Great Dane Society is going to honour him, oh. which is really sweet. Yeah, and that's a wonderful story. It actually, there was earlier in the week I was tweeting out this story, which was a collar for dogs that tracks when something's wrong with their humans. So it developed the whole idea of, you know, we know that dogs help people that are visually impaired, who have MS, who have Parkinson's. But this actually, you get your dog to wear the collar and he detects certain types of changes to your behaviour and somehow can say if something's wrong and it isn't. It's called a surrogate sensor. Let's talk about Starbucks and that particular brainwave piece of research. What was amazing about this, this German scientist, he, he sort of got into the bit of the brain that tells you whether or not, uh, you know, something surprises you. So he looked in particular at Starbucks. He looked at this particular pricing that Starbucks had on their coffee. So what he found out is that even though people will say, yes, that's the right price or it's a little expensive. Their brain was giving them away, oh, spilling the beans. <laughs> but it actually changes the whole way you look at consumer research because we're so used to asking people questions and expecting an honest answer. And what this piece of research shows that actually what's going on in your head is not necessarily what you're saying out of your mouth. Yeah, no, it's kind of like a little lie detector test. So mm. obviously people are saying they'll pay more than, is it €1.80? Yeah. Which is, I think, sounds quite cheap compared to what I pay it's in a Starbucks. It's a small <laughs> cup of coffee in yeah. Starbucks, €1.80. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I f this is actually quite frightening if they could develop this this we would end up paying an absolute for especially if you're really really tired yeah. like I'd, I'd spend a tenner on a coffee like on a Tuesday night before I'm putting the magazine to press whereas you'd probably spend less earlier in the day yeah you know so let's, ho let's hope he actually um, that he doesn't get used by many companies because he's already revolutionising the way pricing uh, should take place within I'd the company a lot of, a lot of money for. being offered for research for this now by a lot of companies oh, I hope all he doesn't go world. and yeah. you know, find out that women would pay a fortune to have you know those perfect shoes <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the peer aha these are an amazing uh, group. There's, there's 700 of them. They're in Brazil. They've never actually had the ability to count in their language. They have a very, very simple language. Lots of people have gone and studied it. And they've only eight consonants and three vowels. Can you imagine an entire language built on eight consonants and three vowels? The most simple sound system. And they kind of use intonation, uh, using the same word, but using syllables and intonation to try and get the message across. This story actually um, was developed by Caleb Everett. Now, if, if you're interested in the story, Google him because he's done loads of work in this and he's published it in all sorts of different peer-reviewed journals. But he was the son of uh, Christian missionaries uh, turned linguists and he lived with the Piraha during his early childhood and he went back there and studied them, particularly studied the language. And he did all sorts of different things to see why it is they couldn't count or they had no words for count. And he would lay out batteries in rows of two and discover that they didn't know, you know, how to get beyond one, two or three. I love the story. There are so many elements I love about this story. First of all, like Caleb himself, what a wonderful life to grow up with missionaries and then and go back and study it. It's like something from the Poisonwood Bible or something, but it's a fascinating story. What I found really interesting is the idea that this whole culture exists without numbers and without counting. It really does kind of challenge this globalization kind of theory that we have that the whole world is the same and nothing is different. So it's wonderful to hear about these societies that are completely different. There's more yeah. than one way of being in the world. And very interesting, actually, the, there was a 12,000 word piece in the New Yorker in 2007, which is actually online. So that's a lovely way to spend a Sunday afternoon. If anyone wants to Google it. And there's fascinating little stories in it. Like, for example, he bought one, I think it was a journalist with him. Yeah. And they were asking, what's the journalist's name? In, um, they, I think they call it crooked head is how they refer to any language that isn't their own. And they learned the, the journalist's name and then they just completely disregarded it because they have no interest whatsoever in anything outside their own little world and their own boundaries. It's wonderful You have story. been studying it, Mom. <laughs> well, if you don't want to read that thousands and thousands of words online, there are some great videos up too where you can actually, you know, hear the 
them speaking, hear them talking, and and Caleb actually, it's great th- that you mentioned that thing about crooked uh, crooked head yeah. because they've remained monolinguistic. So they're they're one of the only people in the world yeah. that only speak one language, and they actually refuse point blank to learn another language. They're very happy with their language. They don't see why they need anything more complicated. So instead of asking for two of something, they just ask for more. Yeah. So they have a word saying little and more and big, and that's just enough for them. They've never needed it, you know, as far as they're concerned. They live happy, healthy lives. They've never needed to know some of these things that we have in our complicated language. No, it just sounds like a wonderful, like, be lovely place to go for a retreat, except they'd probably just call you a crooked head. <laughs> Later in the programme, this social experiment panel are going to be discussing time travel, right? They're made up of the comedian, the 12-year-old, the graduate, the taxi driver, the priest, the politician. So this week, we're asking if you could go back in time, if you could go back in history, who would you like to meet? Who would you like to hang out with? Well, I'm a bit of a nerd now, so I would like to meet Max Perkins, who was an editor at Scribner Books, who edited Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway and Thomas Wolfe. So I'd love to meet him and have a chat with him. Bit nerdy, but that's bit me. Nerdy. My thanks to Yvonne Hogan, health and living editor with the Irish Independent, for joining us this week. Thanks, Yvonne. I hope you have a great Sunday. Thank you, Nora. I hope you do too. And who would you like to meet? You can email us at mindfeed at newstalk.ie.